There is something wrong with the world. Can you see it? Do you feel it? It's all over the internet, on our news feeds, in our relationships. Things are just wrong, and they are getting worse. Society has become, in a word, toxic. But the gospel has an antidote. You see, some of you were once like that. You were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God. By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the Spirit of our God. It's so good to be back. We were here 14 years. We raised our little kids here, and so many of you just coming up and saying hello. We're just so thankful to be back. We're jumping in. 1 Corinthians 11 is where we'll be today, and we're talking about toxic worship. So what does that mean, really? I love this video, bumper video you guys put together, but the thought that we're going after today is how do we keep it that the things of this world don't enter into the worship within this church and in our own hearts. Rather, how do we bring worship with us wherever we go throughout our day, throughout our weeks? That's what we're going to go after this morning. But to start, let me ask you guys a question. What do you have in your pockets right now? What do you got in your pockets? What do you not walk out of home without? What sort of things? It's a tactical phrase that some call it, they call it the everyday carry. These are like tactical guys who really put a lot of thought into what they have in their pockets. That's not me, though. I'm not one of those tactical guys. About as tactical I get, besides a phone, who's got their phone, right? That's pretty tactical, right? Star Trek sort of thing, everything that I need right here on my phone. Got my keys. Let's see if I get, oh, no, no, I got my glasses because I'm getting old. Got my glasses, so I need my reading glasses. I just dropped my pen. Anyone a pen carrier? I'm a little bit of a pen snob that I need one of these gel pens in my pockets. Got keys. What else do I need to carry with me? I got keys. I like to have separate keys. I don't like them hanging on my ignition. But I do get a little tactical. I got two little screwdrivers here on my keys. So that's, pr- that's pretty cool, right? Anyone carry a knife with them, perhaps? That's something pretty common to carry in your pockets with you, a knife. I used to have this wonderful Swiss Army knife that a close friend gave me one Christmas. And it was a very thoughtful gift. Perfect. Great size. It had every little gadget on there that you would really need throughout the day. And I really took a lot of, you know, pride in my Swiss Army knife because I was very tactical in those days until TSA decided that they'd rather have it. And so I was so mad when TSA took my tactical arm. I never really quite found one to replace it. But the idea of everyday carry is that we bring things with us throughout our day, things that we need, things that we need to get through our days in case issues arise, small issues, big issues, what would it look like if we had a better grasp on bringing worshiping Jesus with us into our weeks? What might that look like? 
that worship, yes, worship is Sunday morning, singing songs together corporately. That's part of worship, a type of worship. But a more holistic approach towards worship is an attitude of our hearts where it's not just on Sundays, but it's in between Sundays. And Sunday morning singing is a reflection on your heart of worship that happens throughout your week. What would it look like? Could you imagine going throughout your day, driving through traffic, and being able to worship? Mowing your lawn and worshiping. Doing the dishes, worshiping. What about doing your budget? Could you bring worship into your budget? Paying your bills, paying off your credit card. Can you do that? What about, even a little bit more difficult, could you stop and worship if you're having a fight in your home? What would that look like if you're having a fight with your spouse or with one of your kids and you were able to pause and worship? How might you even do that or bring worship into work? You're losing your best employee or you're trying to, you're trying to hit your numbers. The stock market falls. Can you worship? What can it look like? What if you're having pain medically? You're, you're in pain, chronic pain. Can you worship? Someone in your family dies. Can you worship? Really, worship is the way that we were intended and designed to live our lives. It'll change your life to be able to bring Jesus with you wherever you go as part of your everyday carry. It'll change your life. It'll change your day. Something will click on in your soul where now all of a sudden you're running on all cylinders and you're living life very differently than the way that the world might live life. So how might we bring our everyday carry with, with us? If you're like me, picturing that may be difficult. What does it really look like, practically speaking, in order to worship between Sundays? To not just forget about it on Monday morning or when difficulties arise. The Bible has a lot to say about that. Jesus has a lot to say about that. Because Jesus, did you know Jesus knows exactly how you were designed? Because he's the designer. And that Jesus knows exactly what it looks like for you to have life between Sundays. There's a lot that we have to learn from communion. So communion, this little cup here, is meant to help us remember in remembrance of me. We're going to get to in 1 Corinthians 11. And I want you to be thinking through this morning if there's an area in your life that's counterintuitive to worship. I want you to keep that one in your head. I'd also like you to just take your little communion cup right now. Can you hold on to it? And if you'd like, I'd like you to hold on to it in your hand as, I, as I'm talking this morning or put it in the crease of your Bible. Have it close by as you can remember Jesus in everything. So we're going to talk about communion. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 11. We're also going to go to Matthew 15 slash Isaiah 29, which is where Jesus was speaking from, where we're going to learn about worship. We're going to learn about some of the pitfalls of worship as well through both of these examples. But communion, some would say, is meant to be the pinnacle of Sunday morning worship. It's a time to remember Jesus, remember all that he has to say to us. And with us, let's take a look at first, would you turn with me? First Corinthians 11. Love that this church is a church of the Bible. I appreciate that. And I love that I'd raised my children in this youth here. 
Incredibly important. 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to look at 17 through 22. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So there's something interesting happening in this passage. Historically, there are two different viewpoints, perspectives, on what communion looks like. One perspective, which perhaps we follow in America most often, would be the Roman church perspective. A lot of times, Roman church might be associated with something negative. It's not negative in this case. something healthy. But the Roman church's view of communion was that it was a sense of a time of awe. This was a time of being somber. This was a time of reflecting on everything that Jesus did for you on the cross. That is a part of worship. Absolutely. Awe. You might need to in awe throughout your week. Just stop. And you could bow before Jesus. Everything that Jesus did for us deserves awe. We would be stuck without Jesus. The fallenness of man could never have been remedied if God didn't come up with a solution of making God-man Jesus. It never would have been... (laughs) Amen, yes. Amen. We could all do an amen. Right now, amen. amen. There is awe, which also awe... Knowing that God, Jesus, condescended from heaven, from his safety and glorious trinity, he came to earth to remedy that, deserves all. We learn that from communion. But there's another approach to communion. This came from the church in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church said, no, it ought to be a time of celebration. This needs to be a time when we celebrate not only what he's done, but that our futures are secure. And it's meant to be a time of celebration that we as Christians have everything in common because of Christ. You and I may have never spoken before, but if you know Jesus, we could sit down and have hours and hours upon hours of conversation about who Jesus is. This is a time to celebrate awe from the Roman church, celebration from the Jerusalem church. You see in this passage, is it obvious to you which approach they're taking? Jerusalem church. They're celebrating. Somebody's getting drunk they're celebrating so much. They're not just having little times of so little communion packs here. They're eating and drinking. I don't know if you've ever seen communion done this way. I've only seen it done once this way. I was on this spiritual retreat up in uh, upstate New York. A bunch of churches come together. It's called Trace Diaz. Anyone go, ever go to Trace Diaz here? No, no one. It's all right. It's really cool, though, by, by the way. So anyway, we go on this retreat, and at the end of the weekend, we take communion. And it's not with these cups. All the families in the area start cooking. And they bring all this food to the table. And this communion was a celebration. There was music and song and excitement and laughing and food upon food upon food. What we learn from communion is that it's both awe 
and worship is celebration. You know, you never see Jesus walking around with a guitar, do you? Worship in music form is very important, but the example of worship Jesus gave us was communion. There's a lot to learn from it. We also get to see a pitfall from Corinth. I'm not sure if you've dove into Corinth too much yet in this series, but Corinth is a very affluent place. You see, the danger of living in affluence is that the everyday carry of the things in this world, you bring them with you. Wherever you go, you bring them with you into church, you bring them into into your relationship with Jesus. Corinth was in between two bays. One was off to Asia, one was to Italy. It was a trade route. Lots of money in Corinth. What we see happening in this passage is that the rich people were partying and they weren't even thinking about the poor people. Instead of creating communion unity, they were creating division. Communion and worship, this is the grave danger of toxic worship. It's when you start bringing the world into the church and you think the church is all for you. And you think worship is all about you. Yes, worship is awesome. Yes, we are designed to worship. Yes, worship will bring us life. Yes, worship will bring us joy. There's emotion associated with it, but that's not the foundation. What do we learn from the foundation? It's awe of Jesus and celebrating him. But yet it's still, there's an emotional response. The Corinthian church made it all about them. And there's a danger, there's a very slippery slope because the Corinthian church in its affluence, this church here in New Jersey, don't be desensitized to the affluence in New Jersey. Now that God had to rip me out of New Jersey, by the way. We used to always say, take our hearts and bury them in Newark. That's what we told people. No, 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 take our hearts. We're never leaving New Jersey. And God had to force us out for other reasons. But this is such a strategic and influential place. Don't be desensitized that you're sitting outside of modern day Rome. Don't be desensitized that you're sitting in the great country of the United States of America. If you were to spin a globe and put your finger on one of the most powerful and influential places in the entire world, you might very well be sitting there right now. We're sitting in the most powerful country in the entire world on the eastern seaboard, the megalopolis of the most powerful country in the entire world. For sure, certainly, we are in danger of bringing the world into the church. But how much more does it speak to the necessity of you all bringing the worship of Jesus into the world. To bring Jesus and a heart that worships Jesus everywhere you go, into your work, into your homes, to bring life and light, to live the way that God designed you to live. Thankfully here in New Jersey, you all are living in the Bible Belt. Okay, that's, I'm looking for a joke on that one. I'm looking for laughter. Like, really? I did not realize that. So many ways you're living in the anti-Bible belt. The head of the National Atheist Society, I believe it's in Piscataway, I believe some of the most unchurched counties in the entire country are in New Jersey. Less evangelical Christians than in the Middle East. This is a mission field. 
And people do not typically wake up in Kansas and have God tell them to come be missionaries in New Jersey. They just don't. It's up to the Christians for Jesus to be living through your lives. This is the vital nature of worship, why we got to get this right. That is not just in these doors on a Sunday morning, but you're worshiping throughout your week. The Corinthian church missed it. Hopefully they got it right ultimately, but at this moment they were missing it. It's really easy to miss worship and make it all about yourself. Think about it this way. What's the difference between a country club and a church? Should be a lot of differences, but there's a lot of similarities too. There's community. You need to keep the lights on. You need to pay your bills. You need to make it nice and clean. But the main difference between a country club and a church is what's the mission? Who's it for? People who go to a country club expect things. They're paying their dues so that they could get what they want out of it. That's not worship. That's not this church. The church's mission is to bring Jesus into the world. It's vital to get worship correct. Jesus goes on and he, he uh, rebukes in Matthew. He rebukes the professionals. He goes after those Pharisees. Those dadgum Pharisees always getting it wrong. These are the guys who are worshiping incorrectly. And what, is he do- what he does is he quotes Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah. And there's a lot of context, a lot of interesting things to see here. Why don't you turn with me? We're not going to go to Matthew. We're going to go to Isaiah. We'll read what Jesus quoted in Isaiah 29, verse 13. 29, 13. And the Lord said, here you go, they're missing it. Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Their fear of me is a commandment taught by men where they're bringing their everyday carry. They're bringing the world into the fear of God. They're mixing it up. They're giving lip service. Another thing to remember about worship, this is a slippery slope. It's about a relationship, not a ritual. It's very easy to go through the motions when it comes to worshiping Jesus. What I'm not saying to you is to just take your little uh, communion cup and put it in your pocket on Monday mornings and think by carrying something around, some special little trinket around with you, checking off the boxes that you're worshiping. It's something, it's very, it's very uh, different in the church than it is in the world. In the world, you could show up at your job and not have your heart in it, but just do the tasks assigned to you, and you'll probably be okay. Man, I don't know all your jobs, but in most part, you'll be okay. It doesn't work like, like that in the church. Jesus is like, you don't just go through the motions. This is a heart issue. What you carry is imprinted on your hearts. This illustration with the everyday carry falls short because it's not about physical things. This is an issue of our hearts that Jesus is going after. So when we worship Jesus, you can't just go through the motions. But how does that, what does that look like? How does that happen? And we even learn more from Isaiah. So the Corinthian church was living in an affluent city. What was happening with Isaiah, this was Old Testament. This was a very important time in the history of Israel. He was the right-hand man to King Hezekiah. 
And so what King Hezekiah was dealing with is that it was a divided kingdom. He was in the south in Jerusalem. Samaria was in the north. And this powerful country called Assyria decided that they were coming after everyone south of them. They were on their way to Egypt, and they wanted to take over Egypt. And Israel was in the way. And so this powerful enemy was on their doorsteps. There was chaos. There was tension. So whether we're sitting in affluence or we're sitting in conflict and chaos, we still have issues with worship. It's a hard issue. The warning from Isaiah is that even if life is bad, don't think that you're automatically going to get worship correct. Perhaps we're even at that moment when life is difficult, we're more likely to just go through the motions. So really, just to give you the end of the story, Assyria didn't get to Hezekiah because Hezekiah had faith and listened to Isaiah, which was wonderful. Then the story turns again. Of course, sordid history. But what we get from Isaiah really is good or bad, worship can be a problem. And you could easily get it wrong. It is so easy for us to miss and to just go through the motions. Okay, think about it this way. Let's imagine, let's imagine if we called the band back up on stage and we said, hey, bands, we want you to play us some music in such a way that you get us dancing. Like, we got to get some music. Something appropriate, John. Some appropriate music. Something that's okay for a church. But it's got a bass line. The drum beat is going. And it gets us all moving. And we stand up and we start like a dance party forms breaks out. And we got a dance party going. I know, I know you Jersey people know how to dance. Listen, listen, I live in PA now. A lot of them are scared to dance. And I love to dance. And so even you guys who don't love to dance and you're the wallflowers, you can't help it because this music is so good, you're dancing. And we're going together. And we're having a great party in this room. Can you feel it? You can feel it. You've, you've been those places. Now imagine if a deaf person walked in. And they walked into the room and they saw everyone having this fantastic dance party. They're like, I want to join in. Man, I need to go be in that dance party. So now the deaf person starts watching and starts mimicking the people around them a little bit. And at first it's awkward. But then after a little practice, all of a sudden they're like dancing with everybody else. And they're in the dance party. And if you were to watch them, you didn't even know that they were deaf. Because they got so good at going through the motions. You see where I'm going here? How easy is it in the church of America as a believer to know the motions but not hear the music of the gospel? In fact, I think many people walk out of the church because they've never heard the music of the gospel. And they don't like trying to go through the motions. If you're a young person growing up in the church just because your parents brought you here, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know or you've ever heard this beautiful music of the gospel that is so beautiful and so life-changing that it drowns out the music of this world. I didn't do this first service, but remember uh, the sirens with Achilles? And the sirens are singing and they're, they, all, the, all the boats crash in the rocks. And there's two guys who made it through it. You guys familiar with that Greek story? And all the sirens are calling and all the boats are crashing into the rocks because their music was so beautiful. One of them 
said, tie me to the mast so I can't, I can't crash us into the... And everyone else plugged their ears so I could hear the music of the sirens of the world. The other one said, and so he made it through. The other one said, no, play me an orchestra that is more beautiful than the music of those sirens. Youth, you need to understand that there's a beautiful music of the gospel that you may or may not have heard. And don't walk away from Jesus and the church simply because you've never heard it. It's there. The problem with the guy who was tied to the mass, if this is what mast, is that he's always going to want to go back to those sirens. The only way to stop carrying the world into your worship is to hear the music of the gospel, and it's a beautiful song. There's celebration, there's awe, there's life to the music of the gospel. Communion points us that direction. Communion is an example of worship. In remembrance of me. In remembrance of me, he says. He wants us. He knows our hearts are designed this way. In remembrance of me. We're made to worship. We're going to worship. Whether we like it or not, we're going to worship. You're going to worship something. You're going to find something worthy in your life. Is it going to be the song on that siren or is it going to be the music of the gospel? That's the question. And it will change your life. One way or another, it will change your life. There's this wonderful quote from Blaise Pascal. I'd love for you guys to, to see as we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians 11. Everyone has, has a need for worship, has a need to find something worthy. Blaise Pascal was a mathematician. He worked with hydraulics, so he understood vacuums. I was an engineer, and so I like guys like this. I don't know if you've seen this quote before, but it has always resonated with me. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Every person here has a God-shaped vacuum in their heart. You know, you know what's the nature of a vacuum? It sucks. As we have beautiful music, reverent music playing in the background. The nature of a vacuum is that it sucks. It's gonna suck something into your life. We will look for things in this world that we think are worthy to fill up our hearts. We'll take the everyday carry of this world and try to fill it up in our hearts and it will never satisfy it. The only thing that satisfies is Jesus. We were designed to worship. Did you know Jesus knows exactly how we were made? He knows our psyche. He knows our bodies. He knows us physically and spiritually and emotionally. He knows all those things. This is good for us. It's not about us, but it's good for us this week to worship. What communion teaches us, communion teaches us not just to awe and celebrate, it teaches us to pause in our weeks, to find those Sabbath moments throughout your week where you can worship. The nature of a person 
who has a God-shaped vacuum that's not filled up with God is that they suck too. They suck life from everyone around them. They suck life at work from their kids, from their spouses. They just want more and more to fill it up. Filling up that God-shaped vacuum with Jesus will change your life. I've been trying to take my own advice. And this is what it looked like for me this last week. There wasn't anything in particular. I wasn't suffering with pain. I wasn't, there's the life, I got a disabled son, yes, that's part of it. It was a part of I losing an employee at work. I had to mow the lawn, had to do all the little things that were building up and I could tell my brain was going the wrong direction. And I said, what am I telling myself to do right now? I need to pause. I was driving in the car and I think I was even in traffic. There was no music. There wasn't a beautiful scenery, nothing. It was just changing my brain, remembering. I challenge you to pause this week. In those moments where it seems counterintuitive, pause, celebrate. No, and this is awe on this side. Have awe and celebrate. It'll change your life. The meeting I walked into, I was a new man after that. I had life to give. I had joy to give. I had peace to give to those around me. It was supernatural. I wasn't even trying. And that's what happened. Something clicked on in my soul where I was able to breathe life. That's who we need you to be as this church in New Jersey. As a congregation, as individuals, bring life, bring Jesus, bring Jesus. This morning, first service, he's not here right now, a young man in his 30s. This is what the pandemic has done. I've seen it over and over again. Young man in his 30s, doesn't know any of you, doesn't know Jesus. God drew him out of his house. Can you imagine in your 30s getting up at 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning to come to a church that you'd never met anybody before? People out there are seeking. The pandemic is causing, making this God-shaped vacuum in people's hearts be apparent. And you have the answer. You have the answer. And you'll, it'll bring you to life, bringing that answer to the world. Bring in worship. Okay, let's take out our communion cups. We're going to pause right now and take communion. We're going to have awe and we're going to celebrate at the end. Take out your cups and I'm going to read, read and walk you through 1 Corinthians 11. Take a deep breath. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and take the bread. Man, Lord, every time I take communion after studying this, thinking about the bread and the awe, the solemn awe to your broken body for us on that cross. Lord, we are in awe that you went through everything for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Holy cow. We're desperate. In need of you. Could not have saved ourselves, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. think about you saying you're not going to drink it again until eternity. You're pointing forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll be celebrating in eternity, Lord. I thank you, and we are oh, thankful that together Lord, just amen and amen. We can celebrate your name, and we look forward to the light at the end of the tunnel. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Oh, Lord, thank you that we have nothing to worry about, and our hope is secure and that this world is a drop in the bucket, and that one day we will be with you in glory, Lord. I'd like you all to stand. Remember awe and celebration. Continue in this throughout your week, and this is how it ends. We're going to celebrate with another worship song in just a moment. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you know us. Lord, protect this church. Use this church. Hedge this church about with your angels. Fill this church with your spirit, these people. Allow these people to live life, a life of worship, everywhere that they go this week, Lord. Jump into their brains when they're in those moments this week when they need to pause in awe, with awe and celebration and bring you into all aspects of their lives. Allow them to be a light on the hill, a light in the city, a city on the hill to this entire community. In your name, amen.